invite you to uh, turn to our scripture passage today. We're looking at Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. So Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak uh, to us today, Father, and we pray that your living word would pierce into our hearts, uh, convict us of our sins, convict us of where uh, we do not honor your Sabbath. But Father, we also pray that your word would show us Christ and that he has completed the work for us, that we can rest in him as we rest on this day. Father, speak now, we ask you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Who here has uh, seen the Pixar movie Up? Probably a good chunk of us, yeah. That may or may not have been the movie that convinced my parents to buy an RV some 10 or 12 years ago (laughs) instead of waiting until they retired. Uh, If you know the movie, you know why that would be the case. The movie starts with the story of this young boy uh, named Carl Fredrickson who idolizes the famed explorer, explorer Charles F. Muntz, who goes around the world and, and documents these incredible things that he sees. And in his neighborhood, Carl befriends this other young girl, Ellie, who also dreams of exploring. And in particular, she dreams of visiting this mysterious Paradise Falls in South America. Well, Carl and Ellie grow up playing together. They end up getting married. They restore that old house they played in as they were kids. And they try to start a family, only to have that excitement shattered by the heartbreak of miscarriage. And so, Ellie paints this picture of Paradise Falls with their house sitting at the top of it. And they place that picture above their fireplace mantle as a picture of what their hope was, what this new hope for them would be since their dreams of having a family would never come. And they would one day visit Paradise Falls together. And so they get a glass jug and they tape a sketch of Paradise Falls onto it and week by week they continue to drop some coins in it and saving up for that dream of visiting there. And that painting was really a picture of their good future. It was a picture of a time that they wanted to get to where the present joy of being there would wash away the past pain. That picture was a reminder of the hope that they longed for. And as we look at the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, I want us to reframe how so many of us typically think of the Sabbath, that it is a picture that God has given us of our paradise falls, of where we are headed. The Sabbath is a picture of our coming hope. And this stands in contrast to how so many people tend to think about the Sabbath, right? Either it's just like a second Saturday, no different than the rest of the week, or on the other extreme, it's a day with a bunch of rules, many of them kind of unwritten, and 
people will silently judge you if you break any of them. We're in the second part of this series through the book of Exodus that we've called the gift of the law. And remember, the, the law isn't a checklist for how God decides whether or not he's going to redeem his people. No, God has already redeemed them from Egypt. These commands, the law, are the blueprints for God's beautiful community. And what we see in the fourth commandment is that God's community is one that enjoys rest. They take one day each week to rest from their work and to be reminded of their ultimate hope and joy. And it's the same for us. The Sabbath is our picture of Paradise Falls. That no matter what is happening right now, no matter what heartbreaks you have just experienced or hopes that you have just realized, the Sabbath is a reminder of where you are going and the joy that is found there. The Sabbath is your hope. And that's really what I want you to remember this morning. The Sabbath is your hope. And we're going to look at it under two points. First, Sabbath principles. Second, Sabbath practices. So in the first section, I want us to explore what is this biblical principle of the Sabbath? How is it explained in Scripture and so forth? So the fourth commandment is actually the longest of all the commandments. Now, the commandment itself is very short, just verse 8. But what makes it long is verses 9 and 10, which give an explanation of it, and then verse 11, which gives really the foundation or the basis for it. So the command is just remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It's the first positive command that we have here, the one that doesn't include the word not. right? And when it says remember, it doesn't just mean to think about it. <laughs> But, but we use, it's using the word remember in, in the same way that we often use the word remember. For instance, if you say, I need to remember my wife's birthday, you aren't just saying, I need to think about it a lot, right? Because if her birthday comes and you don't do anything on her birthday, but you tell her, but I remembered your birthday, I remembered it so much, but don't actually do anything, it's not going to help your marriage, right? Unless you actually do something, a car, dinner, doing, you know, her chores, whatever it is. And, and it's the same here, that remembering leads to action. And so the rest of the verse says, by keeping it holy. Or another translation is, in order to keep it holy. I think this is probably the most important uh, thing I want you to understand in this command, that for something to be holy means it is set apart from ordinary. So for the Sabbath to be kept Holy, it means that it looks different than the rest of the days in your week. It shouldn't look like a Monday or a second Saturday. That, that somehow God wants our Sundays for us as Christians to look different than the rest of our week. And the reason for setting the Sabbath apart is given in verse 11. It ties our Sabbath keeping to God's Sabbath keeping, that in one sense, God is not asking you to do anything that he has not done himself. God did all of his work of creation in six days, and then he rested on the Sabbath. This is all the more interesting when you realize that God didn't have to do it that way. God could have created everything in an instant. He could have created everything in 14 days. But God decided to create everything in a space of six days, and then, as a way to show us the importance of Sabbath, he added a seventh day to our week, a day of rest, where God enjoyed all that he did. Because right? you might wonder, well, why in the world did God need to rest? God doesn't get tired, right? Well, it wasn't a rest of him being exhausted from all the work. 
It was the rest of enjoying everything that he had done. You guys experience that. You maybe are working on a project in your home or working in your garden, and there is a physical tiredness from that, but there also comes maybe when you sit on the back porch and you look at all the plants that you've planted, a rest of enjoying the beauty of the space that you've created. And God, in the same way, took time to step back from that rhythm of work, 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 to look at everything and say, this is very good. And commentators note that in Genesis 2, when the seventh day comes, we're never told that the seventh day ends. We're going to pick up on this in a a little bit. It, It doesn't end like the previous six days, where if you read through Genesis 1, you see this repetition. Every single day ends with, and there was evening, and there was morning, the whatever day. But the seventh day doesn't include that. Simply, it says that God rested from his work of creating. He did all of his work of creation in days one to six. So that seventh day was not a literal day, but it was one in which God eternally rested from his work of creation. There was not a Monday that was coming. It was a day that never ends. So that the Sabbath then really is more than just thinking of it like a single 24-hour day, but there's a deeper principle in what is work in work with the Sabbath when it comes to how the Bible describes it. It's, it's really the Sabbath is that place or that time when the work is all done and now you get a kickback and enjoy it all. This becomes all the more clear in Hebrews 3 and 4. So Hebrews was written in the New Testament after Jesus, but one of the things that Hebrews always does is it's pulling the readers back to all these examples from the Old Testament and showing how Jesus fulfills these things. And so in Hebrews 3 and 4, the author takes us back to the story of Israel walking through the wilderness just a little bit after where we are in Exodus right now. Israel has finished listening to God at Mount Sinai, and they resume their travels to the new home in the Promised Land. But as we're going to see as we make our way through Exodus, they continually distrust God and they harden their heart against him. They don't have faith in him. And so Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, And who was it that rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Now, when Hebrews is speaking about rest here, we could almost just as easily insert the word Sabbath, enter his Sabbath rest. Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into his Sabbath rest. So there's something really significant here, that Israel had the opportunity to complete all of their work, kind of mirroring God's days of work, days one through six of work, and then when they finished all of the tasks on their to-do list that God had given them, they would then enter into, as Hebrews says, his, God's, rest. They would join God in that seventh day of rest. If you look at Hebrews 4, verse 3, it reads, it makes this very explicit, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. Taking us back to Genesis, that's where the author goes. We know it is ready because of the place in scriptures where it mentions on the seventh day, on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. See, Hebrews is saying there is this eternal Sabbath rest, this seventh day, this place where God resides, where he is resting from all of his work of creation. And one day, you can go there too. 
The Sabbath is not first and foremost a literal day, but it is more like a state or a place where all the work is done. The Sabbath is kind of like the ultimate retirement, right? Where you don't have to get back to work. There's nothing on your to-do list. The Sabbath is like if you work for years, you have to redo and remake your backyard, right? And after years and summers of backbreaking labor and tilling up the ground and pulling out all the rocks and planting trees and shrubs and bulbs and, and bushes, and, and maybe you install a small fountain and you put a pergola up and you have vines that grow up above the pergola, and, and then one day after so many years of work, the perfect summer comes and it's all done, and you sit out there and you enjoy your garden. That is your happy place, right? Everything is beautiful, and everything is in bloom, and you, you smell the roses. And this is what I've worked for. This is Sabbath rest. The Sabbath is when you get your house atop Paradise Falls and finally enjoy that life that you have been so long waiting for. And God tells us one day you too can enter into my Sabbath rest. Well, what then is the work that needs to get done? In, in Genesis 1, God essentially enters into his rest because he did his part of the job, and then he hands the baton to Adam and Eve and says, now it's your turn to get to work. I created the canvas. It is your job to fill it in. Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. But if you know the story of the Bible, you know it doesn't take too long for Adam and Eve to fail at that. And so God still, though, knows this work needs to get done. And so it's like he hands the baton to Israel. You all will now be my representatives to fill the world and be fruitful and fill it with my goodness. But as Hebrews tells us, they messed up too. They dropped the baton. And so the author of Hebrews writes, so we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. And so where, who then is responsible, or who then gets to enter into this rest? Hebrews 4, verse 8. Now if Joshua, the leader of Israel after Moses, had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. Still, so there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So he's saying that for us believers, there awaits a Sabbath rest where the work that God has given us is completed, and we then can enter into that rest where there's no more coming Mondays, no more work left to be done. It's a holy day, where we get the word holiday, right? with no coming Monday. And what does that day look like where we enter into that rest? Well, it's described in Isaiah 25, verse 6. The Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. That rest that awaits God's people is not just a rest of your to-do lists and checking off those things. It's actually a rest from experiencing any pain or sorrow or tears 
ever again. It's a complete rest, a rest where you never have to worry about being hurt again. But as long as there is still a thing called evil in our world, there is still the work of God to end that evil, to quarantine it. So as long as there are still tears in our world, there is still work to be done to end the source of those tears. The Sabbath is ultimately that day when evil is no more, all of your wounds have been healed, and all the tears have been wiped away, and nothing will make you cry ever again. And that is what the general principle of the Sabbath is. It's so much different than just a list of rules of what you do or don't do on a Sunday. The Sabbath is your hope. It's your better future. It's a life where there's no more to-do lists, no more things breaking in your home or in your car, no more relationships that fall apart, no more heartbreak, no more weeds to be pulled. So with that background, that is what the, the Bible thinks of when it thinks of the Sabbath. Let's then jump back to the fourth commandment. In verses 9 and 10, it gives us this basic pattern for life. Six days of work, one day of rest. And because the work isn't done yet, Monday always comes. And there's more work to be done. You chip away at it a little bit more, you get a break, but there's still more work, so you go back to Monday. See, what God gives us is every six days, he says everyone needs a break to take a step back. To, to reflect on this past week, what, is, what have we done? What work did I get done? What things can I be thankful for? And to get a taste of where you're going, a world where all these broken things are finally and forever fixed. And to take a moment and to sit on that rocking chair in front of the fireplace and look up at that picture of Paradise Falls, that's where we're going one day. The Sabbath is your day to set everything that has happened in this past week into perspective of God's big story, to give rest to your body and soul so that you're ready for another week of work, and to remind you of the glorious future that you're headed to. So with that kind of foundational principle of the Sabbath, let's move to our next point of Sabbath practices. As I said, I think the most essential thing for you to really apply here is that Sundays should look different than the rest of your week, the rest of your days. And in particular, we should cultivate practices that remind us of our future hope, that heavenly rest that we're looking towards. Now, some of you probably wonder, well, when did Sabbath move from Saturday, as it was for the Jews in the Old Testament, and still today for them, to Sunday for us? Well, around the time of Jesus, the Jewish Sabbath practice was to go to the synagogue for something that would look pretty similar, actually, to our worship services today. We read of Jesus in Luke 4.16. When he came to the village of Nazareth, Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Sounds like a worship service today. But what we see early on, after Jesus' resurrection, was that Christians moved their gathering for worship from Saturday to Sunday, in large part because of the significance of the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection reset their calendars. So we read in Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread, possibly meaning to, to have communion together. There was a worship service, and Paul spoke 
to the people from the scriptures. The early Christians in the New Testament, many of whom were Jews, essentially transferred their synagogue practices of gathering for worship from Saturday to Sunday because of the resurrection. And since the essential aspect of the Sabbath is it looks different from all the other days, that's what it means to keep it holy. It's set apart. What are some very practical practices that can help us with that? Well, I'm going to really run through four things that you guys can apply. First is gathering with God's people for worship. The author of Hebrews later writes, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I love how this fits with what we've said about the Sabbath, right? What is the purpose of the Sabbath? To remind you of your future hope. And what does the author of Hebrews say is one of the good or primary reasons for gathering together? To remind each other, encourage one another of our future hope as the end is drawing near. Do you realize that your presence is simply an encouragement to others? And even if, let's say, you're not signed up to serve in any way, your smile, your saying hi, your handshake, these things are actually a great encouragement to the people around you, a greater encouragement than you realize. I remember one time that Brian Sui, the, the campus pastor we support, was, was talking about how he would often bring college students to church, right? And these are many people that have no background whatsoever at Christianity, And one of the things that would strike these students when they came to church was that all of these people would give up a couple hours of a Sunday, precious weekend hours, to gather for worship. And they said, wow, if they do this, this must be really important for them. In an age when our time is one of the most valuable resources that we have, taking time to gather for worship is an incredible witness to others for where your hope lies. What are you trusting in? What are you believing in? Uh, Gathering for worship is one of the best ways in which you can put everything that has happened in this past week and put it into perspective of God who is in control of even your calendar. Related to this, I think it's good to, to take advantage of the extra time that we would have on our Sabbaths to commune with God in ways that are hard to do the rest of the week when you've got to get kids places and you've got work and all these other commitments. Uh, Something that I've done fairly regularly, not perfectly, but on my Sabbaths is to always have some book that I'm reading that's that's just a book that is good for my spiritual care and for my soul. The Puritans are great resources. There's a bunch of newer books that are, are great that I just read one chapter every week and then I have a little journal where I write some things that I, th- you know, something that struck me, or where do I need to grow in this, or, or, or where is God speaking to me through what I read, and then spend some extra time praying about it. Something simple like that, which can be done in less than an hour, it can have great benefits for your heart and your soul. Another thing that would be great to do as you, you take that time is to just get in the habit, maybe do it as a family after lunch or something. What are things that we can give thanks for for this past week? What's the work that's been done that we're thankful for? Maybe getting a project done at school or project done at work or or, or around the home, whatever it is. Let's give thanks for that. Let's enjoy these things. And enjoying 
good food, or if you enjoy beer like I do, crack open a good beer on Sundays, or a, a good wine, right? And drink it knowing that as good as this beer is, or this wine is, the wine of heaven is going to be even better, and I long to taste that one day. The Sabbath is an anchor for your soul to keep it from getting sucked into the craziness and repetition and routine of life. It says something bigger is at work here. When the church gathers, it smells of heaven. And so when we gather, every one of us needs to breathe that air of heaven to remind us of the bigger picture of life. A second Sabbath practice is to rest. When you look at verse 10, the command extends to servants and animals and foreigners living in the land. And so often, we even see this today, it, it is often foreigners and, and immigrants that will so easily take those, are, are forced into various reasons, the hardest work schedules. Right? And we rest while they don't get to rest. But here God shows that he has care for everybody in the land, even the animals. Everybody needs a day of rest. Right now, think about it for the animals. No matter how much you might try to explain to your cows or your dog or whatever the principles of Sabbath rest, the cow doesn't care, right? But that doesn't mean they shouldn't enjoy the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't just a spiritual practice that you think about. It's actually a physical thing that you do. All living creatures need rest. And you should ensure those, even in your circles of influence, get times of rest. You know, there's been a, a lot of talk lately, these last few years, of the importance of rest and setting boundaries, right? And one of the difficulties of our modern era is it's so easy to bring work home. Or most of us, or more than any other time, we work from home now, right? And you don't have those boundaries. The Sabbath was the original work boundary that God established. And saying, leave your work out of this. You need time away from it. And it's just taken us a couple thousand years <laughs> to realize that these instructions that God gave us were actually good for us as we struggle with work invading so much of our life. Sundays are a great day to take a nap. Are you resting on this day? Don't bring your work into the Sabbath. So do you have good boundaries to keep that from happening? Maybe it means things like, keeping your phone in another room for the day, or keep your computer closed, or don't check your email. Do your digital habits look different today from the rest of the days? You know, something I thought maybe would probably be really good is don't read any news on Sundays. Right? Set it apart and, and, and focus on the news of the gospel, which will last much longer than any news cycle today. Remember, part of what it means to make this day holy is that it looks different from the other days of our week. If you remember back to Exodus 16, which we looked at a few months ago, when God gives Israel manna, and he gives them special instructions. He says that on the day before the Sabbath, I'm going to give you twice as much so that you can collect twice as much and don't have to go out and pick up any manna on the Sabbath so that you can rest. Because of this, I think it's a great idea to avoid chores or household work on Sundays. I tell the kids, Sundays is the one day we don't make you do chores, right? That's the day you don't have to check the box off. Back in verse 10, when it says your slaves and your foreigners should enjoy the Sabbath as well. 
I think that means that the influence that we have in work or wherever it might be, that everybody from the bosses to the animals need regular times of rest. And we should try to ensure people get that. The, the third Sabbath practice is to play. I like Eugene Peterson's aspect or his principle of the Sabbath as he summarizes it as it's a day for prayer and for play. How can you have fun today? But something that is life-giving for me, particularly after preaching all morning, is to go take my mountain bike out for an hour and go ride it on a Sunday afternoon in the hills. And go on a hike with your family. Play a board game with your kids. Go to the park. God has given you a day to enjoy these parts of his creation in a way that should make you long for that day when the bad parts are no more. So have fun today. And make it help, you, help it make you long all the more for the day when that fun overtakes the rest of the calendar and enjoyment. The fourth practice is to be flexible. I was struck as I was studying just the Sabbath throughout the Bible how much controversy there was around Jesus' actions on the Sabbath. I think it's, it's one of the few things that shows up in every single gospel. At one point, Jesus and his disciples are hungry on the Sabbath, and so they pick some of the heads of, of grain for a snack. Now, it's interesting, because this seems to be the opposite of what God said for the manna, right? Don't go out and pick manna. But then Jesus' response was, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's saying that the Sabbath day is for your benefit. It's not a bunch of rules to follow or things to do or not do that just make you miserable and wait for it to be over. It's about what are the principles for rest and renewal and enjoyment on this day. Right? So if you're hungry, eat something. Don't starve yourself. Right? Also with being flexible is that people's work schedules sometimes are, are difficult, right? Particularly if you work in healthcare or in the food industry, all these other things, right? And somehow you have to figure out, maybe my schedule doesn't look like everyone else's, but how do I make sure to carve out time for Sabbath rest when maybe I can't do it when everyone else is doing it? And to do it for my family so we can be together. Jesus spent a lot of time healing on the Sabbath. Just from a quick glance this week, I think he probably healed more people on the Sabbath than any other day of the week. And he defends his actions by saying, well, if one of you has a child or ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? It's because of this Christians have traditionally said that works of necessity and mercy are allowed and even good to do on the Sabbath, right? You shouldn't withhold care from somebody because, well, sorry, it's Sabbath, can't help you. No, right? The Sabbath is, the other principle for the Sabbath is to allow others to enjoy rest, Right? It struck me that maybe Jesus did so many healings on the Sabbath to show us what it's really about. It's a day of healing and restoration. A day where as many people as possible can experience the joy of heaven. He worked so others could actually enjoy the Sabbath. And how are you helping others enjoy a Sabbath rest? So here's some homework after we kind of looked at those principles. When you go home... Be at, and have lunch. If you've got family, do it all together and have a conversation amongst those at your table. How can we set this day apart to remind us of our future hope? How can we make this day one that 
makes us long for heaven all the more and reminds us of what God is doing in the world. In the movie Up, Carl and Ellie Fredrickson, they go about their uh, work of saving up for Paradise Falls. But if you've seen the movie, you know life always gets in the way, right? Every time that jar starts to get close to the top, something comes up, repair work, medical bills, unexpected expenses, and so they dip into that fund to pay for these pressing needs instead of that big thing they were hoping for. And then months turn into years, and that picture of Paradise Falls gets dimmer and dimmer. Now they've got gray hair, and Carl finally decides that if we don't go now, we're never going to go. And so he goes and visits this travel agent, and he books the tickets, and he surprises Ellie, but soon that excitement quickly ruptures and heartbreak comes in. Ellie's health takes a sudden turn for the worse. She gets sick, and she soon dies. And suddenly that picture of Paradise Falls up above the mantle isn't a picture of a hope, but it's a picture of their dreams that were dashed. Because we live in a broken world. But friends, that's why I want you to see the Christian Sabbath is better than that. Because the hope that we have is a certain hope. Because things will always break into your plans. You might not ever be able to retire like you want to retire. Your life might not look like you thought it would when you were 20. But Jesus has so broken in to the death of this world, he gave himself unto death so that death would never take away our Sabbath dreams. And that for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, the best is yet to come. And the death of your spouse, cancer, getting fired, going bankrupt, whatever it might be, it does not stop that coming Sabbath hope. Death cannot stop it. And the work that is required to enter that rest has been completed and is being done by Jesus. And so that Paul writes, and I am certain that God who has begun the good work within you will continue his work and it is, until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus returns. Everything that we dream for in this life will one day turn to dust. But when you rest your hope on Christ and put your faith in him, the best is yet to come no matter what happens. And one day, you will enjoy everything that his life is meant to be, and you will realize that in all the heartbreaks of this world, you've missed out on nothing. And what God wants you to do is to take one day a week to remind yourself of where you're headed. Revelation 22. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us long for that day when it is finished. When we get to enter into your 
Sabbath rest. And all the pains and the heartbreaks and the tears and the drudgery and the meaninglessness of this life is put into perspective of the unending delights that you hold in your hand. And that we will see how much better you are than everything else. And we'll feel alive like never before. And we will rest with a rest we've only ever gotten little tastes of. Of a rest when there's no more work to be done. No more surprises, no more heartbreaks. But only joy everlasting. So Father, help us to long for that day. Help us to take this day to remind us of where we're going. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.